Welcome to Sedona, Arizona, a hundred miles north of Phoenix, but light years from worldly reality. Success, Empress. The town has turned into a kind of western mecca for psychics, mystics, and spiritual seekers who say it's the most mysterious place in America. In Sedona, anything is possible. Hey. Hey. How are you? Good. 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 Yes, I'll make love with you, but you must do it as I say. (laughs) (laughs) Go. (laughs) (laughs) That's, um, I decided to, since it's spooky season, to um, do a movie review. Okay, great. So I got out um, my list of movies I want to see. And I watched a movie called The Witch in Love from 1966. And it's based on, an, on a novel called Aura by Carlos Fuentes. Yeah. And it's really good. It's a good movie. Basically, um, there's this like ladies man character, the main character. He's like a womanizer. And um, he keeps noticing this, like, strange old lady watching him out in public, right? Right. And then he answers an ad in the paper that pretty much describes him, right? (laughs) So he goes to her, like, mansion to answer the ad. And then he goes in and he meets the old lady. And she um, kind of flirts with him. And she says that she's looking for somebody to um, work on her husband's journals to, like, um, organize the library. And she takes him to this giant library in the house. And it's like a mess. And she pulls down one of the journals. And it's, it's erotica, basically. And she tells him it's it's their story it's their journals and um he's about to decline you know because like this old lady's flirting with them and stuff right (laughs) and um, he drinks she has like a teacup and she takes this drink and like she almost faints and he like goes and grabs her and sits her down and he thinks like she committed suicide or something and um he's calling he calls for help and um, then he hears a guitar playing. And he walks to the other side of the room and he sees this beautiful woman, right? Yeah. And um, she introduces herself as Aura and she's the daughter, right? Right. And he says that her mother's fine, that she suspects maybe she takes drugs, you know? <laughs> <laughs> so he falls in love with this beautiful, beautiful woman. And, um, but it just gets weird from there. Like he has a thing for the for the girl, and 
her and her mother are never seen at the same time, right? Right. Like, Aura disappear and then the old lady will be back or her run into the old lady. And um, so what it is, is the old lady is a witch and she doesn't even have a daughter. Oh. <laughs> that old trick. There you go. Yeah, that <laughs> really, really good. And 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 it kind of turns out that she keeps taking out ads when she loses interest in the guy that gets stuck there. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, The Witch in Love, nineteen sixty six, highly recommended. Woo! I have to check it out. You know, you know how I am. I'm trying to watch every occult I mean, movie there is. So yeah, I know. Um, Two thumbs up. I have my list to share with you, but I think you'll like. Okay. Cool. Yeah, I'm. Uh, it's a uh, pig pen from the Grateful Dead who passed away 40 years ago. It's his birthday, so I've got Grateful Dead on the turntable. <laughs> nice. Um, <laughs> yeah, I've been going through. Um, old North Carolina newspapers for the last week and it is I see oh my god it's been so fruitful there's so much cool stuff and um um yeah I've uh you know I'm it's mostly stuff for the podcast but I've now um stuck on old movie ads yeah and i figure out keywords and how to do it so i'm pulling up all these old spook show ads and movie ads and stuff it's I guess. oh my god it's fucking fascinating and sometimes uh, the advertisements are just as exciting as as like the articles and the, oh the old they're so yeah. cool and and the thing is i've been fascinated with them my whole life and you never see North Carolina ones and there's fucking so many <laughs> like old spook shows that were here. And right. um, so, yeah, I'm going through all that now and, and saving it. I had to actually um, upgrade my iCloud storage because there's so much shit, <laughs> <laughs> but it's totally worth it. But it's been fun and um, um, it's been really cool. I've been coming across some, cool stuff um and i'd like to share with you one little thing from uh asheville times 1932 okay a little article it's called main spooks a ghost house a phantom light and a mystic woodchuck nice Bodenham, that's Bodenham, Maine, boasts a veritable ghost house where it is said the chairs refuse to stay quietly in their places, but in the middle of the night walk out and draw together in groups just as if guided by visible hands. Then there is a spirit cane that goes walking all by itself just at midnight, tapping its way along from room to room and finally taking up its abode in the chamber where a member of the family sleeps. That this statement is true is affirmed by those who have seen the phenomenon and who are not at all afraid of ghosts. 
At another house in the village is a phantom light that shines each night, no matter whether it be moonlight or darkness, just above the closet door in the upper chamber. For years, this light has disturbed the people who at different times have occupied the room, and some have been much afraid of the flickering gleam. From time to time, different explanations have been offered, but none has proved satisfactory. The light continues to shine, and no one can account for the mystery. Down at Lazy O Camp is a spook woodchuck, which every evening, just at the sunset hour, comes out of an old family tomb halfway (laughs) between the camp and the home farm. There on the tomb, he sits quietly watching the sunset lights on the waters of Merry Meeting. Just as the sun sinks below the horizon, he disappears. The tomb swallows him up, and he is seen no more until the sunset hour comes round again. <laughs> I like that. That crazy. I like the light. What's that? That light. That's that's interesting. I know. Well, yeah. in the woods. <laughs> yeah so there'll be a lot of those nice to come <laughs> i've got <Nice>. tons <laughs> all right let me tell you one the book i chose for this episode is tales of the skinwalker by ryan skinner oh cool all right so i'll tell you one um okay the Unexplainable sound of a flute being played is an indication that a skinwalker is present. The flute was a traditional instrument of the natives that first settled the Great Basin, the music of which was prominent in rituals and ceremonies. The skinwalker uses flute music to communicate with the spirits there in the alternate planes or dimensions. All right, here's the account. I was working on a ranch in Chenille one summer near Canyon de Shelley. It was a fairly big spread, a couple hundred acres of leaves. We, we had been having problems with coyotes getting into the sheep pen at night. The guy I was looking for sent me and his middle son, he was about 17, out to make sure the gate from the corral at the southern end of the property was closed. The younger boy, he was maybe 11, asked if he could come too. So we let him jump in the back of the Jeep. It was after dark. The drive out there was a good 10 or 15 minutes. Dwayne's kid was behind the wheel. I was sitting in the passenger seat, my head back and my eyes half closed, just enjoying the cool night air and the quiet. When we got there, Dwayne's kid, his name was Jay, sent his little brother Aaron out to check the gate. It was a three or so yards off the road and to the far side of some posts with chicken wire. My eyes were still kind of closed when I heard this whistling. But it wasn't like a person, more like a flute, the reed kind with holes punched through it. It was a simple melody, but deep and resonant. Out of nowhere, Jay starts yelling for Aaron to get back in the Jeep, and it's like he's not kidding. Just the way he was yelling, the tone caused me to bolt up and had my heart racing as if something bad was about to happen. He kept asking me in his voice near panic, do you hear that? Sounds like some kind of flute, I said. Just at that moment, Aaron launches himself into the back of the Jeep, his eyes as wide as saucers, 
and looking as if he was ready to cry. Jay turns the key and practically before the engine turns over, he's got his weight on the gas pedal like he's afraid it's going to push back. The wheels start spinning. Dirt and pebbles are flying all over the place. No sooner does Jay get his in motion and the sound of the flute is right there. Oh, As wow. it's playing, it is just there in the dark, but I didn't see a damn thing. As soon as we got back to the ranch house, the two boys run in and tell Dwayne what happened. The next day, he goes into the settlement and comes back with the medicine man. The old guy spends more than half the day going around and blessing every part of the ranch. When he leaves, he tells us to be careful and not to go out alone at night. He's certain that a skinwalker is on the prowl. I grabbed that one because of the flute music. Yeah, I love that. It's interesting that um, um, that that's associated with skinwalkers. Mm-hmm. You know? Yeah. What area was that? Um, we'll have to look it up. Chanel. Oh, okay. Yeah. Cool. All righty. Um, I came across a good one. I think we've definitely read about this one before, but um, I came across this really, really interesting book um, called Close Encounter at Kelly and Others of 1955. <laughs> That's By, a good book. Yeah. Is it? It's amazing. <laughs> And, yeah, that's a good um, it's from the Center for UFO Studies, 1978. It's like a, a small press, private press um, book. But I was shocked at how good it is. And yes. the um, the research is impeccable. These um, Isabel Davis and Ted Bleaker or Blecker are just incredible at uh getting information and you know the these are not like um armchair investigators they were there they went to these places and interviewed all the witnesses and um they're yeah it's incredible but um i figure we'll talk about the hopkinsville hopkinsville goblin case soon but um this isn't that this is one of the other cases but okay. um, it's uh the time was march or april 1955 robert honeycutt and here's the story it's honeycutt's strange story at the time of our interview on september 1st 1956 robert honeycutt was the mater d of a restaurant in downtown cincinnati We met him early in the evening before he was scheduled to go on duty and spent more than an hour with him going over the details of his strange experience. Extensive notes were taken and Stringfield made a drawing of the little men under the careful supervision of the witness. Honeycutt was cooperative in responding to our many questions and impressed us with the cautious manner in which he reconstructed all those details he could accurately recall. As did Chief Fritz, Honeycutt placed the date in either March or April 1955. He was returning home from work on that morning at about 3.30 a.m., driving north on the Loveland Pike 
in the vicinity of Hopewell Road at Branch Hill in Sims Township. As he topped, as he topped a rise in the road and was coming down a slight grade, his car lights fell on what he first thought were three men kneeling down in the grass on the right side of the road, just inside the berm. My first impression, he told us, was that there were three crazy guys praying by the side of the road. <laughs> Honeycutt brought his car to a stop to see what gives, quote, with the car lights illuminating the scene. It was at this point that he realized these were not three kneeling men. A sense of something quite extraordinary came over him as he saw that the figures before him were not even men. The figures were short, about three and a half feet in height, and they stood mm -hmm. in a roughly triangular position facing the opposite side of the road. One mm -hmm. was forward and closer to the shoulder and to the witness, while the other two stood in flank positions to the rear. The forward figure held his arms a foot or so above his head, and it appeared to Honeycutt as though he were holding a rod or a chain mm -hmm. in this upraised position. This detail of upraised arms was described in both the Stockton, Georgia encounter and in the Kelly case. Mm -hmm. Sparks, blue, white in color, and two or three at a time were seen jumping back and forth from one hand to the other, mm. just above and below the rod. It was Honeycutt's impression that the beans were concentrating on some spot directly across the road although he could see nothing unusual in the woods to the west of the pike. As Honeycutt got out of the left side of his car, the forward figure lowered his arms and near his feet appeared to release whatever he had been holding. Check this out. <clears throat> to the witness, it looked as if he tied it around his ankles. <clears throat> then as Honeycutt stood by the left side of the car, all three figures simultaneously turned slightly toward their left so that they now face the witness. Motionless and without sound or change of expression, they stared directly at him. In the car lights, Honeycutt was able to observe a number of details. This most extraordinary trio was made up of three humanoid figures of a grayish color, approximately the same shade of gray for their heads as for their, quote, garments. Fairly ugly were the words Honeycutt used to describe them. A large, straight mouth without any apparent lip muscles crossed nearly the entire lower portion of their faces, an effect which reminded the witness of a frog. The uh. nose was indistinct with no unusual feature that the witness could discern. The eyes seemed to be more or less normal, except that no eyebrows could be seen. Mm. The pay what does that word mean the pate p-a-t-e never heard that <laughs> i'm just gonna say pate i might be wrong the pate was bald and appeared to have rolls of fat running horizontally across the top rather yeah. rather like the corrugated effect of a doll's painted on hair except that there was no difference in color the most remarkable feature was the upper torso the chest was decidedly lopsided. On the right side, it swelled out in an unusually, unusually large bulge that began under the armpit and extended down to the waist. Mm. 
giving the figures a markedly asymmetrical appearance, almost like a big tumor or something. Mm -hmm. The arms seem to be of uneven length, the right being longer than the left, as though to accommodate this unusual feature. The lopsided torso seems to be a detail unique among humanoid reports. No other example has yet been found that matches it. Honeycutt saw nothing unusual about the hands, although he could not say how many fingers they had. If the beans wore garments above their waist, they were tight-fitting and of the same gray color as the rest of the body. There was no line of demarcation to be detected between a garment and the skin itself. Mm. Kind of like the hair, how he said the, mm-hmm. the, the mm-hmm. he couldn't differentiate the hair and the uh, forehead. Below the waist, however, there seemed to be a loose-fitting garment of the same gray color. But Honeycutt was unable to recall any details other than the hips and waist appeared to be heavy. He could see no feet, but the figure stood in six-inch high grass. Honeycutt's car was parked about 10 feet away from the humanoids. After standing next to the left-hand door for perhaps a minute or a minute and a half, his curiosity overcame whatever fear he may have felt, and he started to walk around the left front of the car toward the beans. (laughs) I would, too. (laughs) As he reached the front fender, the little humanoids simultaneously moved slightly forward and toward the witness. A peculiar motion that was quite definite and graceful. Honeycutt had the distinct impression that he should approach no closer. He said that no words were needed to convey this message. Mm-hmm. He stood by the front fender for perhaps two or three minutes more, too amazed by this bizarre spectacle to be frightened. Honeycutt said that when he finally left, it was merely to get someone else to see these outlandish figures. Getting back into his car, he was suddenly aware of an extremely strong and penetrating odor. It was most noticeable as he drove off. He compared it to a combination of fresh-cut alfalfa with a slight trace of almonds. Mm -hmm. Only as he drove away past these three grotesque did the frightening implications of what he had seen begin to sink in. Right. Although it was nearly four o'clock in the morning, he drove directly to the home of Loveland Police Chief John K. Fritz. Honeycutt said he had an impression that he may have intruded upon some kind of a, quote, operation. Asked to explain, he said that when he realized the figures weren't praying, he got the distinct feeling that the forward figure was using the implement in his hands as a signal to someone or something in the woods on the opposite side of the road, although he could see nothing in the darkness along this sparsely settled section of Branch Hill. Regarding the odor, Honeycutt said that several months later, in July or August, he was driving along the same road with a girlfriend late at night. Mm -hmm. When he passed the site of his earlier encounter, both he and the girl noticed the same strong odor he had smelled before. He stopped the car, looked around, and seen nothing unusual drove on. Honeycutt also confirmed that there had been a UFO sighting at the Loveland GOC post earlier on the same night he encountered the little man. He said that an account of this observation had been published in the next edition of the local paper. And and it goes on to uh, document that 
there were UFO sightings the same night and they were reported. So, yeah, I really dig uh, this publication. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I'll, uh, I'll link it. I don't don't remember what episode, but one episode, I think there was an account from that book. One of our episodes. Really? Yeah, that's a good one. I wouldn't be surprised. Yeah, it's, it's really good. And, um, the thing I like about it, I, I was just totally into it this week. And it takes, you know, everybody's talked about the Hopkinsville case uh-huh. over and over, the goblins, you know. And it's like, it's such a fascinating case. But this um, really looked at it from a different perspective. And you start to feel empathy for the witnesses because people treated them like shit the media yeah the media um the only person who was on their side was the chief of police and um he was a a native american guy and he just um stuck up for him at every turn you know told the media and everything like look something happened to these people they're not lying this is you know like uh right right for for these fucking hillbillies to run to the cops, something right. had to happen. You know, these aren't those type of people. And uh, um, yeah, it's real. I mean, it goes so in depth. Uh, the uh, uh, the investigators go out there the next day and um, interview them and interview them again and and just tell uh, you know all all that was going on. So it, it's it's fascinating. Yeah, that's yeah. that's a good book. Do you have that? Yeah, like, I do. I saved like, it as a PDF, and it's saved in our uh, Scribd account. Oh, good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but <laughs> I went ahead. When I got it. Um, I think I got it. I think I got it on like Kindle. Yeah. But or maybe I did get a PDF. But however, I got it. It wasn't like scanned right. Really. So, it was kind of messed up so yeah I know this one's this one's <laughs> perfect and um yeah it's in our account and i got a p i saved a pdf of it it's that good it but yeah good. go back go back again and reread it because it's just that it's amazing it's that good yeah nice and yeah, um, I, what i thought was really interesting was you know um um the sketches you always see of those things. Uh-huh. Um, how um, they really worked at those sketches. They brought in uh, two newspaper guys hours after the account and interviewed each witness and changed the sketch to fit um, exactly what the witness saw. Right, because there was there were slight variations between each witness, which always happens, but li- just slight, you know. And right. um, it was interesting too that um, because this was national news, right? This hit all the newspapers, and uh, most of the um, stories just shit all over it. And some of them even drew their own fucking goblins. 
Like they didn't even go by the description of what the right, right, right. The people said. They just had like a stock drawing. Here, draw me a draw me a goblin. Yeah, draw <laughs> me a goblin, and 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 it, they actually um, show a few of those in the book. But um, yeah, incredible book, incredible. Yeah, I will check that out since yeah. I couldn't really like read much of it when I had the bad scan, and I was so disappointed because yeah. this good. is a. This is a really good one, and um, I think it's one of those accounts, like a Fordian account, that's totally devoted to the stuff. And mm -hmm. yeah, it's a good, it's a good print. But um, yeah, yeah, that's creepy. And the rod, the rod, yeah, I, yeah, and how it like I. I just got the visual from the, and maybe I'm wrong, but from the way he described it of like this rod that he puts it by his side and it like wraps around his leg like a right. for some reason I had that maybe that's what they were saying but yeah yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. that's weird <laughs> that's definitely weird yeah all right let me do another skinwalker then okay Skinwalker encounters often take a form of a naked individual running at great speeds along an open highway and are limited to an isolated car, the passengers of which witnessed the naked runner for but a brief period before the skinwalker then runs off into the dark desert. At times, the skinwalker will play with the occupants of the car, most often when it is but a single occupant by grabbing onto the door handle and running along at whatever speed the car is driving. In most cases, the driver will describe a canine-like creature, dog-faced and with similar limbs, only upright and with attributes human enough to be disturbing. At some point, the creature quits the game and veers off, but always leaving the driver with the impression that the skinwalker was well aware of its effect on the driver or occupants. Makes you think a dog man, right? <laughs> okay, here's the account. I am a retiree, somewhat rational, but left wondering after seeing something or someone one night while driving in the desert on the road to Ajo, Ajo, Ajo in Southwest Arizona. My friends and I routinely take the trip down to Puerto Penasco, located in Sonora, Mexico, every year to fish and enjoy the Sea of Cortez between mainland Mexico and the, and the peninsula to Aba. To avoid the heat, we leave the San Luis Valley here in Colorado late in the afternoon, getting on the road to uh, Asia. Anyhow, I think it's age today. Um, usually a few hours after midnight. This particular night, I am driving a rental car while everyone else is sleeping. Suddenly, out of nowhere, I pass this naked man running in the lane in the opposite direction we are going. He is barefoot and moving really fast. I look in the rearview mirror and as I hit the brakes to see if he needs help. I watch as he veers off the road and out into the desert. Just like that, he's out of sight. As I continue driving, I keep an eye out for a disabled car or someone with some other sign of distress. 
but I see nothing. And it literally bothers me. The following year in the same area, about the same time of night, I am sleeping in the back seat of the car with one of my friends driving. I wake up briefly for no reason in particular and look out the car window. I see a very large dog-like creature sitting off the shoulder of the highway. I shake my head and rub my eyes and then take another look. We're moving pretty fast, but I'm certain the thing is wearing a pair of tattered pants and a flannel-like shirt. Yes. The sleeves cut off just below the elbows, frayed at the bottom, and completely unbuttoned. It never moves. I tried to get my friend to stop and back up so that I could get a better look, but he isn't agreeable to driving backwards along the shoulder of the road. So I never did get a better look, but I know what I saw on both occasions. That's creepy, right? That's great. Oh, God. (laughs) (laughs) Naked runners. Yeah. (laughs) And dogmen and flannel. That's creepy. All right, I have a fun little story. Okay. Little short story. This is from the Vault of Horror, an old uh, horror comic from the 50s from EC Comics, which is some of my favorites. And this is called Escape. Brent stepped back from the gap he had so painstakingly chopped in the ice. In spite of the bitter cold, he felt the perspiration collecting around his neck under the fur parka. It was finished, a matter of minutes, and no one would ever find his victim. For the glacier he had hacked so diligently would carry the body out of the reach of any searching party, out toward the Arctic Pole and the oblivion which Franz deserved. No one would ever find this corpse. Brent thought to himself as he lugged and pushed the the last fast-stiffening body into the icy trench. Buried in ice, that was what Brent had done to the fool Franz. Brent turned and shaded his eyes with the heavy fur mittens. Just half an hour since he had left the spot where Franz lay buried in the glacier, and already it was impossible to to distinguish the exact spot in the barren field of ice and snow. Brent turned once again toward the south, checked his wrist compass, kicked his snowshoes together to unmap the heavy snow that clogged between the gut strands and started forward. It was hard going in that trackless wilderness with the snow clinging to everything the way it did. But Brent smiled to himself as he plowed on. There wasn't one chance in a thousand of a search party ever finding a body out here. He had been going on for over an hour now. And there wasn't the slightest change in the appearance of the great ice field he was crossing. A little inconvenient to get to from the settlement, Brent thought to himself, wiping the crusted snow from his grinning mouth. But that very inconvenience was a guarantee against the body ever being discovered. He chuckled to himself. And in that same instant, his face went dead white. A deep-throated rumbling seemed to come from directly under his feet. It can't be, Brent thought to himself, turning like a dervish and looking in every direction desperately. 
He started to run frantically, but in less than a dozen steps, a seam opened in the floor of ice under him. He whirled and started in another direction, but once again, the ground began to crack beneath his tread. It was an ice break. Brent was hemmed in on all sides. Nothing he could do, and then the ground began to crumble under his weight, and he was sliding, falling, tumbling in a cascade of blinding white. It was pitch black, and Brent could barely gasp. On all sides, the ice pressed against him as if trying to claim his agonized body. The weight was insufferable. Clogged his mouth, jammed his nostrils, pressed like the weight of doom against his chest. After the first few seconds, he had given up hope of digging his way out of the crater that had opened up to swallow him, and then had closed tight over his head. No use, Brent thought dimly. Conscious only of a rattle starting distantly in his throat. No one would ever find him out here in the awful wilderness, buried in ice. Mm. That's a good one. I like that. Creepy stories. (laughs) What's that from? Um, The the Vault of Horror, number 14. It's an old horror comic. Nice. Yeah. nice. They're the best. They're the uh the the most famous of like the pre-code horror comics nineteen mm-hmm. fifties. I love all of them. I've never read a horror comic I didn't like. Right. <laughs> <laughs> and there are some really good ones, right? Yeah. Oh. Hey, good so far. <laughs> yeah. All right. Um, more skinwalkers. As a trickster, the skinwalker can make people see things that aren't real. The skinwalker derives purpose from troubling people. Here's what you can. My friends call me Bearclaw. I am in middle school. I am Navajo, and this is my story of an encounter with a skinwalker. My best friend and I are hanging out. Sorry, hanging out at my house, just doing the things kids our age do. It's a Friday. And it's just getting dark. We are in my room at the back of the house. When out of nowhere, we hear my dog Wolf start yelping and crying. But it isn't normal dog whining, you know, when they want to come in or something like that. This crying sounds like he has been hit by a car or something. We both jump up, run out through the kitchen, out through the back door, and down the porch into the yard. I'm thinking he had another run-in with a porcupine. We get out there and we see Wolf. He's pretty far from the house where the property runs out towards the ridge. From where we are standing, it looks as if his jaw is unhinged and hanging really low, like it's dislocated or broken. Crying and yelling, he turns away from my call. It looks like part of the back of his head has been bloodied or caved in and he runs off towards the ridge. We run after him. When we find him, he is sitting there where the ridge drops off. He's whining quietly. They're not too far. They're not too far from him standing over by the, these rocks that climb taller than our heads. We can only see its profile is a big black hairy figure with a dog's face. 
Suddenly, Wolf jumps up and runs back towards us. This creature is in full pursuit. My friend yells out, holy shit, and takes off running for the house. I didn't stand around too much longer either, with no desire on my part to get a better look at the thing. Whatever it was. We both tear ass all the way back to the porch, and me with no idea which direction Wolf wound up going. As soon as we get back in the house, we start yelling for my mom. She comes out wondering what all the fuss is about when we manage to catch our breaths and tell her what we saw. She smirks, telling us not to be silly and wasting her time. And she says she just gave Wolf the leftover chicken from dinner. Sure enough, just then, he comes out from under the porch as if without a worry in the world, not a mark on him. That's fucking scary. That's great. <laughs> That's scary. <laughs> That's up, man. That's... And another uh, dog creature. Oh. Yeah, yeah. God, those things are freaky. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, this is a good book. What is it? A lot of times when you when you like look at oh, the Skinwalker Skinwalker Ranch all the time and this is just accounts of the area of skinwalkers it's called tales of the skinwalker yeah okay yeah cool got anything else yeah you want me to do another (laughs) yeah go ahead all right let's see in some skinwalker encounters, the people involved relate to disruption in power, typically a vehicle which stalls or won't start, or that starts but won't go into gear. While these types of incidents are often associated with UFOs and aliens and attributed to their advanced technology, there's no rational explanation for a skinwalker to have a similar effect. This story comes out of Arizona. Three siblings are returning home to the reservation for a weekend visit with their parents. Their trip is taking them from Phoenix to the family home in Low Mountain in Pinion. It is a trip about five hours. They leave fairly late in the evening. As they approach Keems Canyon Highway, they turn onto a dirt road leading straight to Low Mountain. Just before they reach the dirt road, they notice an old lady bent bent from age and walking with a cane on the side of the highway. It is about two o'clock in the morning. She has a scarf over her head and a long black jacket beneath which she is wearing a green dress. Their only thought is that it's late, a late hour for walking along an isolated highway pretty much in the middle of nowhere. The reservation is really dark at night and there's hardly anyone driving on the roads. After they pass the old woman, they make the turn onto the dirt road. A mile later, they they notice the same old lady bent and walking with her cane there on the side of the dirt road. Spooked by the incident and finding no explanation that would provide for the woman's presence, they had been passed by no other vehicle since turning onto the back road The older brother, who is driving, steps on the gas and puts distance between them and the roadside specter. Together, the three recite some words 
protect them from any dark medicine. Eventually they reach the highway that leads to Chenille. As they come into the, as they come to the first overpass, they see that same old lady sitting on the shoulder pavement with her head down and waving the cane in the air. Before they can pass her by, the car stalls out and they are required to roll to a stop a short distance past the woman. Frantically, the older brother attempts to get the car started, but there's no response. At this point, with all three panicking, the old lady stands up facing the opposite way so they can't see her face and walks across to the other side of the road. Once there, she turns her head for but a moment and they see that her face is painted black. She keeps walking and eventually disappears in the distance. Now out of sight, the brother again turns the key in the ignition and the car starts. They make it to their parents' home with no further encounters. When they tell their parents about the experience, their father tells them of an old Navajo couple with a house back in the trees somewhere between the two highways. They are rumored to practice bad medicine and bedevil people. From what he knows, the old man passed away recently and ever since the old woman has been frequently seen at night walking the highways and back roads. That's fucking scary. Ooh, that's <laughs> but I've heard those kind of stories before yeah. um, on, on some of the call-in shows where yeah. like people see some, somebody weird that sticks out and then they see them again. Like I've heard that before a lot. Yeah, me too. That's creepy. And it's freaky. Do you, I remember, um, you might have heard this. Um, I think it was Art Bell on mm -hmm. um, one of the Midnight in the Desert shows or one of the call in uh, when people tell ghost stories. There was one like that where this, this guy was a teenager and he had seen a woman like that on the side of the road. And then later that night, late at night, he had had to go outside and she was in the front yard. Oh, <laughs> like, oh my God. <laughs> uh, there, there was definitely more to it, but I can't remember. Yeah. <laughs> Whatever that is, that's creepy. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm tapped out. You got anything else? I'm good, I think. Okay. I think that'll keep oh, us going. I have a couple shout outs. Shout out. Let's do it. <laughs> um, my friend Vuk does a podcast called Tracy Owls. Yes. Yes. Check, I've heard of it's great. Um, I'm going to link to it in the show notes and um, always check out our friends UFOT. <laughs> and that's all I got. That's it. Yeah. All right, everybody. We'll be back. Take care. <laughs> Bye. Bye.